We have our partnership right now with the uh, Star Tribune. WCC Radio and the Star Tribune have worked together for a long, long time. Playing politics. John Rash and DJ Tice are here. Chad Hartman from uh, WCCO Radio. Okay, let's go major headlines first, and then we'll try to get a little more specific. John, first, what was? Uh, give me one or two significant takeaways from another debate last night. A strong night for Vice President Biden, which should position him well in South Carolina. The impact beyond that with Super Tuesday is to be determined, but this need for the centrists to center their vote towards one candidate at least got an advancement in one significant state last night, followed up by Jim Clyburn, the influential South Carolinian congressman who endorsed Vice President Biden today. So that solidifies the dynamics in that state that the vice president always said was his firewall, whether he can expand that wall beyond really will determine much of the shape of the race starting this Tuesday, including Minnesota. How about you, Doug? Well, a couple of um, uh, prominent candidates came under fire. Uh, Bernie Sanders certainly got the hog pile mm-hmm. uh, treatment. Everybody uh, had their shot at him. I thought on the whole he held up pretty well uh, against it. Uh, Bloomberg also came in for some uh, additional incoming and did better than he had the week before. At least uh, his answers were maybe not entirely effective, but at least he stood up uh, for himself and and pushed back a little bit in a way I think that, uh, uh, you know, got him back in the game. Uh, so I thought uh, those two things were significant, uh, although they don't really change the, the shape of the race, which I, I think John's got about right. Um, Bernie looks to be in a commanding position. Yes. Uh, the way the math uh, works on these races up ahead of us uh, with the 15% rule, you know, you've got to have 15% to count at all. Mm-hmm. You look at the polls, there's a lot of these states uh, where it's, Two candidates can get above 15 percent, sometimes not even two. And when it's not more than two, it's Bernie. Yeah, right. (laughs) And Bernie's one of those in every state. So he's going to rack up a lot of delegates and the rest are going to you can see it uh, in our poll. The Minnesota poll in Minnesota has got Bernie and and Klobuchar uh, well above 15 percent. So not, they're gonna, not that far apart from each not other. Not that far right. apart. So they're going to split up all the delegates unless somebody else sneaks above 15% in Minnesota. Meanwhile, in South Carolina, it looks like it may well be only Biden and Bernie yeah. who get above 15 So they're going to split up all the delegates there. And that's what you see all around the country is whoever is splitting them up, Bernie's one of them. So let's talk about that, John, because I agree 100% with what DJ just said. And it's a bit of Trump 2016 again where – Trump had his 25 to 30 to 35, and then the traditional Republican, they would kind of divide up the others. And people kept thinking, well, if it gets down to one or two, they got a chance. And even at one point, Cruz went to Rubio and said, let's form a ticket together to beat this guy. What is the likelihood that even before Super Tuesday, that Buttigieg, Klobuchar, Biden, and Bloomberg have some powwow and say, if we don't, two of us don't, agree to drop out or figure out some coalition, he's going to win. The numbers just don't add up. But considering all four are still counting on the potential of Bernie not getting to the number or uh, a divided convention, is that even possible before next Tuesday? 
Well, you mentioned the possibility before Super Tuesday. It would need to be before Super Tuesday, most likely, because a third of the delegates are selected in that day. Yep. And if the scenario DJ just described, which you and I concur with, would come to transpire, it might even be too late for them to have that kind of an accord. And so we'll have to see the results that come out of South Carolina. But Senator Klobuchar, for one, has indicated that she has no plans to drop out, even though most polls indicate that she'll finish fifth at best, maybe sixth in that state. And it's unlikely, given his resources and that he performed relatively well in Iowa and New Hampshire, that Mayor Buttigieg would decide to drop out as well. And when you're Michael Bloomberg and you have $55 billion to your name, you've invested hundreds of millions of dollars, and you haven't even had a vote yet where you're on the ballot, including South Carolina. He won't be there. He'll certainly be there Super Tuesday. You want to see what happens when you actually get into the marketplace with something he knows well of an actual election. So I don't necessarily see it, so I think 2016 is a good analogy. If you look at previous elections to that, in most cases, most candidates had dropped out, and it came down to a two-person race, as it did you know, throughout almost the entire campaign with the Democrats in 2016. But even in prior years, when it was John Kerry and John Edwards, as an example, several candidates ran early. But by the time they got to Super Tuesday, it was generally just those two. You know, I don't think it's likely either, and particularly in Bloomberg's case. I mean, this has been his strategy. Yeah, to hold back and uh, you know do the air campaign and then hit it hard on Super Tuesday, so he's not going to walk away from that. Now, uh, it would help them, frankly, if they could even just get rid of one for that fifteen percent reason. If they could get another of their candidates up yep. over the fifteen percent mark in right. more states, that will cut down the Sanders vote total. But that said, I think their their plan at this point has to be. How do we prevent Bernie from getting a first ballot nomination? So let me jump into that. So Klobuchar, as we said, the poll numbers, she's about six points ahead of Sanders, right? Sanders' support going back to 2016, I still think is stronger than the polls even show. Is I mean, no senator who is presently a senator wants to lose his or her state. Do you think there's any possibility all of a sudden, Amy's taking the temperature Saturday or Sunday and looks too close, and she doesn't see a path in those states. Because even, DJ, if she wins Minnesota next Tuesday, but just has a bunch of fourth and fifth places, she's going to run out of money. And the money always just ends this. So does she want to take a chance winning Minnesota or maybe potentially even losing Minnesota and knowing financially there's no path for her? Well, I'd love to know what kind of conversations go on at a time like this, you know, yeah. between, say, uh, Senator Klobuchar and and Vice President Biden. Uh, sort of a, well, if I was to drop out before Super Tuesday, what's to become of me then? Yeah, <laughs> right. right? Uh, should there be a Biden administration? Whatever will I do with myself? Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, I don't. I have no idea yep. if such uh, communications take place, but I'd I'd like to know. Well, uh, just on Klobuchar, John, she is the most popular politician in the state. Tim Walz appears to be pretty close from the latest Star Tribune NPR poll. I I, I don't see the path right now, and Minnesota could be very very close next week, and. 
So much of what she likes to talk about is winning these three elections, winning across party lines. If all of a sudden you run for president and you have one third place finish in New Hampshire and then you lose your home state, that's a pretty good that's a pretty good shot against you about that track. You're quite right. And the calculus has to take that into account at this point. Our poll, as you mentioned, and perhaps her internal polling would indicate that she is going to win the state or else it seems that, you know, this might be more of a possibility at this point. But even if she were to win Minnesota, her performance will be, by most what most polls indicate, so low that it would not pass the 15 percent threshold in any other state, it would seem at least right now. And so, you know, it's probably a question of before or after Super Tuesday. The challenge is, is you have these two centrists in terms of Mike Bloomberg and Joe Biden that many state polls show are basically about tied at this point. And in one of the campaign's biggest surprises, even though I think it would be hard-pressed for even the most ardent watcher of this entire process to really sense what he truly stands for, Tom Steyer has performed well in several polls, including a current one that just came out in South Carolina, indicating that he's third in that state, as an example. So, you know, he's someone who's eating away at that alternative to Bernie Sanders, that somewhat centrist lane, although given this entire field of Democrats, that's all relative at this point. The entire field is much more progressive as a whole than it has been in previous campaigns. But that being said, I think that him staying in the race also eats away at the ability to, you know, keep Senator Sanders from being the sole or maybe just one of two well, it, candidates it does, to hit that threshold. It does, except uh, if he can get over the 15 percent threshold in some of these states, yep. that's going to hold down Sanders' delegate total, which I think is their only chance now. Now, everybody says, you know, they'll tear the party apart if they if Sanders goes in with a big lead yeah. to the convention and doesn't get the nomination. It's the way we used to do it and all it, the time. And, 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 and DJ is quite right. It is the way that we used to do it. And at that point, one wonders to what degree people in the party say it may tear the party apart. It may make it incredibly difficult, if not impossible, to win the presidency. But they're looking at all these down-ballot races that Mayor Buttigieg was talking about last night all the House races, and I think mm-hmm. it's really important to remember the historic House victory for the Democrats may have been headlined by AOC in New York or Representative yep. Ilan Omar here in Minneapolis. But as the an true example. story. Absolutely, Chad. The true story is the vast majority of those were moderate suburban Correct. Democrats like Dean Phillips as an yep. example in the third and Angie Craig in the second. Obama-Trump those, districts, right? Absolutely, the, and that – that pushed out sometimes more moderate Republicans, such as in the third with Representative Paulson here, those are the seats that become vulnerable. Democrats could lose the House, not have an ability to take the Senate, and all the way down ballot in state house races. And don't forget the impact that this may have on judicial appointments, which certainly the the core support of President Trump is based on those, and it's entirely possible there will be another Supreme Court justice or perhaps two in the next four years as well. So be Democrats shocking if there gonna, wasn't at least one. Yeah, right Democrats now. are going to have to take that into account. Last moment uh, here on the debate. John, I'll start with you. Uh, Michael Bloomberg had, a, had an awful performance in date number uh, debate number one. He has faced a number of allegations for decades about his treatment and his comments towards women, including female employees. One woman 
claims that when Mike Bloomberg found out she was pregnant, that he very cruelly and callously said, kill it. Mike Bloomberg at the time and in documents has adamantly denied that. I said, I never said that. Elizabeth Warren raised that point yesterday and said, this is to show you how despicable this guy is. Bloomberg went at her on that particular point. I've, uh, the, the Me Too movement, we are better in this country for it. I've said many times when people say we always believe the individuals who are offering up the accusations. I'm saying I will always listen to them. I will always give them the opportunity. But I don't want us to swing so far that no matter what someone says, we automatically believe them. Bloomberg is hurt by his pattern. But that, there's a very strong difference from crude and unbecoming commentary to kill your baby. And I know a lot of Warren supporters loved it. I just, where's the line on that to have more credibility than just one person in the classic she said, he said? Because I don't think any of the reporting I've read has demonstrated that there were other people around who have confirmed that. If if I'm wrong on that, I, I would gladly listen. It was an extraordinary moment in an extraordinary debate, an extraordinary campaign. And I think that it shows the challenges of some of these events in that you're quite right. This is something that he has long denied and said absolutely did not happen. And yet the vast majority of people who were watching, this was the first introduction that they had to this as a potential uh, incident that had happened. And it's something very, very hard to fight back against except just simply to say, I never said that and yep. that never happened at that point. And yet that charge is out there and particularly in context of all of the non-disclosure agreements and all of the issues that Senator Warren continues to hit Mayor Bloomberg quite hard with, it seems more plausible in that kind of a conversation. And so it is a really tough moment for the debates and, and for the broader debate. But I think it just shows you know, the stakes that she perceives that are out there. And she perhaps thought that if I don't bring this up and discuss it, it's certainly going to be discussed if he is the nominee. And that's you know, what is the calculus for some candidates. You know, I don't think um, Elizabeth Warren is contributing a whole lot to the civility of our political life. Uh, she's a knife fighter. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the second time in this, uh, in this campaign that she has accused uh, one of her opponents of uh, making a statement that they adamantly deny making. Yep. Uh, and Sa- Bernie you know, Sanders, she, before. she treats their denials with uh, complete contempt. Bernie Sanders was the other one who she claimed told her that uh, a woman couldn't get elected president. Now, in that case, at least she was the source. Yeah. You know, that she said she heard him say this. In this case, Bloomberg challenged her last night on what her evidence is, and it's that this woman says so. So I, mean, I, I thought Bloomberg's response was pretty good, right? And again, I'm not saying I know what happened. I'm and not the, saying and, that either. And there's a lot of material out there. But Bloomberg, how does she know what's happened? That's that's it. That uh, and, and it, but it doesn't slow her down. It's it's reckless, and and it's it, it's certainly damaging to the civility and and uh, you know professionalism of our political life. And by the way. If she's going to get back in the race, she's got to start attacking Bernie again on, on merit because those are her voters that she's lost a lot, John, in the last three months. When the political science science fiction, it seems like at times, but yeah. political history of this campaign is written, that, as a journalist, I think will be one of the absolute key questions is to understand her calculus 
as to how hard she has hit Michael Bloomberg, because one would assume if you just walked into this that it is the races between those two or that they have such significantly similar positions that she feels she's got to knock him down in order to advance. And the exact opposite is true. <laughs> is that, you know, she's grouped in this more progressive pairing with Senator Sanders, and she's barely laid a glove on him and, and you know, gone um, with a haymaker towards Mike Bloomberg in, in both debates and landing several punches in, in the process. And it's, you know, there just may be some animosity or, you know, he is a symbol of so many things that she has long fought against in terms of, you know, Wall Street and in, in, in terms of, you know, how she sees the system as, as fundamentally not fair to a lot of people. You know, I think, she's, I think she's playing for the, the female vote. You know, she's going to she's going to get herself cast in the role of the the feminist warrior who takes on the, you know, Me Too Mm -hmm. monster, the Harvey Weinstein of uh, of the political campaign. Uh, Whereas battling with Bernie, though, she's done some of that. You know, she needs his supporters. She knows full well she's not going to get much uh, from any fans of of Mike Bloomberg's. But, you know, she ultimately would need to win over the same people who are loyal to Bernie. So. Taking him on in any aggressive way is a very dangerous play. It's it's cynically, ruthlessly calculated. Yeah, we got about forty five seconds each. President speaking to the nation tonight. We'll carry down CCO five o'clock or so on coronavirus. John, what's realistic to expect? That he realizes what a significant issue this is, and thus he has to address the nation. I think it's a good sign that he's going to have some ostensible experts on there up there with him. That's to the, the key. degree that they let him. He lets them speak. Yeah. That'll tell a lot. Yeah, that's it. I mean, to me, DJ, if he's just going to be up there on his own, I know coronavirus better than anybody. He's got to defer to others, which a lot of I'm not asking him to be a coronavirus yeah. expert, but have the smart people around, have the funding mm, right. and show that you're working with the health officials and the states. Yeah. Reassure people that the, the folks who do know are going to be given all the support that they need and and all the backing and that the administration is, is is fully focused on this. You know, and I'm sure that he understands it's also an opportunity uh, for presidential behavior if he can manage it. <laughs> and, yeah. But, and I suspect he'll try. Uh, it'll be interesting to see because it is that kind of a moment where the presidency is the office that yes. has to get out in front and, and reassure the nation at yeah. a time like this. And uh, Post has a big story today about how mad he is about what it's doing to the market, right? The market was having a very good day. and then I'm the mad market, about it, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's, uh, my hand's up also. Uh, the market was pretty good. And then in about a five-minute period, he lost 500 points. So, gentlemen, thank you so much. Thank you. Playing Politics, the uh, Star Tribune and WCC Radio coming together.